Episode 7 Adventure of a Lifetime. Grace and peace to you, friends. When we think about the teachers in our lives, I think many of us go back to our formal education grade school, maybe high school, or even college. And our memories settle on a particular or maybe a couple of teachers that impacted us. I had many that I'd loved and hated over the years. When you approach life as a school, you're getting a bachelor's degree in wisdom. The day-to-day humdrum and the stress to the tsunami of our lives are our lessons. When I was in school, some of my most challenging subjects were math-related. People assume I'm good at math as an accountant, but I'm okay at math and great at a calculator. I remember as a third grader, we'd have these timed multiplication quizzes, and you get these cool little stamps and stickers as you progress the levels. I just couldn't recall them fast enough, so I'd lay my head down on my desk and cry. My dad's solution was the same one his dad employed, multiplication drills, over and over and over again, writing out the multiplication formula and answer. I wanted to cry then too, but I knew it would just delay the inevitable because he was not going to budge, and I'd probably get a worse deal out of it. You just can't make drills fun, I suppose. Desire to hurry up and finish so I can do something else got me to buckle down and do those drills. I'm pretty sure now that my dad and my teacher weren't trying to torture me, but it sure felt that way. I use memorized multiplication tables all the time now, but I learned kind of kicking and screaming the whole way. I made my lessons more challenging by resisting them. We see the same formula over and over in the Bible, the world's best-selling wisdom literature. So many times people flock to the latest self-help book for wisdom when we already have the timeless wisdom of the Bible. God tells us over and over how to live an amazing, abundant life. In John 10.10, God's Son, Jesus Christ, says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The math lessons were not drawn up by a teacher thinking, oh, let me see, how can I make this little girl's life miserable and make her cry? In the same case, I think we have a distorted view in our tsunami, our challenging season, thinking maybe God hates us or we're being punished for some wrongdoing. So a faulty view makes life difficult and then add in the feeling we create in the situation. Me having to do multiplication drills really felt like restrictions to my freedom. Actually, that was a thought and it produced a feeling. And I had other thoughts like me really wanting to go ride my bike with my friends or watch cartoons after school. These created feelings of resentments and anger. So I had all these thoughts and feelings going on and they certainly were not helpful in creating memory paths in my brain for the multiplication tables. They complicated and worsened the situation. So we can do the same thing with God and have all these layers of thoughts and feelings about our situation on top of the situation itself. And we have some pretty rough situations. Abuse, injustice, war, murder, divorce, challenging relationships. Many of us are going through some really rough seasons And my heart weeps for you. I don't discount that struggle. But most of us find that we struggle with ourselves also. 
and what we are making of those situations and what they mean about ourselves as we wrestle with what the Bible calls our flesh and its thoughts and desires, we learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That peace is worth the struggle as we chase down and examine our thoughts. It feels like we're chasing an escape fugitive sometimes, looking for clues, marking the tracks as we come to understand and eventually agree with God in his perfect plan for your life. He sends teachers with quizzes and tests and lectures, just like a school, but also not like school. My third grade teacher reminds me of another teacher I had. One professor in particular, Mrs. Bachman, was just a genuinely sweet and caring lady. I'd had her for several courses, but my senior year, I needed an extra elective course, so I took her CPA prep class. It was a very helpful class, and there were only a few of us in there, so it was small and intimate. I'd confided in her that I was pregnant, and the sadness and disappointment on her face was immediately palpable. I can hear her voice even now. Oh, Sarah. I know now why she reacted that way. It's just so very difficult to establish yourself in your career and be a young mother, particularly 20 plus years ago. At the time, I wasn't upset or I really wasn't impacted much by her reaction. I mean, I say that and yet it stuck with me, so it did impact me in some sense. At the time, I guess I just thought she was some crazy middle-aged lady who was a thief of joy, to be honest. We were young, yes, but pretty responsible. I was married and my husband had a great job and we were homeowners. She probably didn't know or remember all that. I guess what struck me is that she thought I had so much potential, which was sweet and affirming, but it was deflected or made impotent by childbearing. I knew she had a son, so she surely understood how wonderful it was to be a mother. And even though I loved and respected this woman, it became clear to me in that moment, I must prove her wrong because she can't be right about this. Isn't it hilarious and sad how easily motivated we are at times? what we choose for fuel. The teachers in our lives are not just ones we have in a pure educational setting. Several years ago, it was performance appraisal time in my business and I was queuing up for a tough conversation. We take some time to intentionally talk about what went well and what we need to work on. It's a time to assess the various conversations we've had over the year and evaluate the results we've produced. I think that people deserve to know if they're doing a good job or if they need to improve. I was thinking back to some of the people I've reported to over the years. Some tough conversations others had with me. Tom, he was a middle-aged man, old enough to have been my father and my coworker was about the same age. It was a small department and Tom was so busy all the time. He didn't seem to want to spend much time helping me to grow my skills to do a better job for him and the company. I was desperate for his approval. During the initial interview, he said, oh, you like to write? We do a lot of writing. He loved to write these long memos and then have the team review them and make suggestions. The only time he seemed to pay any attention to me was my suggestions in editing these memos. By golly, he likes me. He really likes me. 
So I went whole hog on these memos. And you know what? Pretty soon he stopped taking my suggestions and worse, targeting me. I was so confused. It became this vicious cycle with him and I began to honestly hate him and become so depressed. I tried to find another job, but nothing panned out and I felt trapped. It was so shameful for me to be in this situation with these two middle-aged men and not knowing how to please anyone. Nobody caring or taking the time to help me as a young professional. But you know what? That situation, Tom, was my teacher. I'd listened to a radio program and they talked about praying for your enemies. I hated myself for hating, but it was just so real and so raw. It seemed to take over and influence my entire life. I began to pray for him, and at first it was a really, really hard thing to do. But eventually my heart softened, and I was able to let go of the hate, and I was able to walk a mile in his shoes. Even though the situation was tremendously difficult at the time, I learned so much, and now I'm grateful for the result. Everything worked out just fine, even though I didn't know it at the time. I was in total knots over the deal and probably would have punched someone in the face if they had said, don't worry, everything will work out just fine. I'm half hood, half holy, but you know what? I think it does work out more often than it doesn't. I learned such a great deal. How to forgive, how to level set expectations, how to organize my day, how to have compassion for leaders, how I wrapped my manager's approval and my co-worker's apathy into some sort of reflection of me, and how I allowed the approval of men to manipulate my life. I allowed that. What a lesson. Now my mind goes to performance evaluations I've given over the years. Gosh, just like interviewing people to determine who to hire isn't easy, giving performance evaluations can be very challenging. The whole point is to help people to know what to focus on in improving. Improvement. But people are humans and we put our own spin on things and we make it mean something that isn't meant at all. Sometimes feedback can make the situation worse, but really the key is just to keep on giving feedback and praise when deserved. This one time I had an employee who was having serious marriage problems and had confided in me. I was trying to help, if nothing else, just to be there for Toby, supporting him and helping him feel heard. Look, I know people have lives outside of work and they just can't leave it at the door. I've been there. Life is really, really difficult sometimes, lots of times, but Toby had missed some key deadlines and his work was falling behind. If you can limp along and handle your responsibilities, I tip my hat to you, but Toby wasn't getting her done for months. So to culminate the year, I said what I had to say about the performance not being where it needed to be. Toby was a people person and just so easily made alliances and got help from others. But in that moment, I think I was Toby's Tom. It had been my habit to say at the end of the conversation, what can I do differently or better to help you succeed? Toby stammered, and I remember so clearly, he said, you are just very blunt and to the point sometimes. We concluded our talk, and I was happy about how things went. I get to the point. Yes! Definitely not how I see myself generally, but the more I reflected on it, the more I realized 
It wasn't a compliment. I wrestled with it. What's wrong with that, really? But in this moment, Toby was my teacher. Toby was reflecting a mirror back to me so I could clearly see myself. As I've considered the situation over the years, I realize that I hate and I love certain confrontations. So basically, I just blurt it out, hoping to get it over with as quickly as possible. And I love it because in a way, I'm unable to prevent myself from trying to change my environment. I can't stop having the conversations. That information is so useful to me and not something I could learn without someone courageously telling me in such a respectful way. The Bible provides that kind of feedback too. When you read it, sometimes it's encouraging, meaning that it imparts courage for you to do the things you are doing. For me, I've wrestled with whether to do this series for longer than I'd like to admit. I'm human and I want to pretend that when I do something right, it's because I took the right action or I said the motivating words just right. But my flaws are many. Jesus Christ, God's son, is speaking from the book of John in the Bible, saying that he has come so that we can have an abundant life. That is so encouraging to me, imparting courage. When I want to stay in my fleshly instincts of judging others or just so much focus on myself, it's an encouraging reminder that God has so much better in store for me, giving me courage. Sometimes the word of God, the Bible, it's convicting. It feels like it's telling me I'm doing something wrong. The Cambridge Dictionary defines convicting as to decide officially in a law court that someone is guilty of a crime. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We don't need to go to a courtroom to tell our hearts when we've done something wrong. We know. It's tough. We want to justify our behavior or the words or just pass it off because it feels uncomfortable. Is it really so terrible to feel uncomfortable for hurting someone or not living up to the moral code each of us has in our hearts? Yes, it feels terrible, but it could be worse. Imagine having no remorse. You're a sociopath and imagine growing into someone like the serial rapist and killer Ted Bundy. We throw around these psychological terms nowadays, but essentially we are looking at a lack of conscience. I don't want to be a sociopath and just hurt people without caring. So I can remind myself to handle a little discomfort in order to be present in the relationships of my life in a way that I can be proud of. Loving my people, valuing my team and my community. So what do I do with this uncomfortable feeling? Stop trying to push it away, first of all. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. So much of the time we're unwilling to feel something and we try all sorts of things to feel something else instead of just slowing down and dealing with it. When you were becoming a toddler, you were taking steps and falling, but getting back up again. It probably hurt pretty good at times, but it didn't stop you. You kept on trying. What we're going to do with these uncomfortable feelings is a simple thing I call CPR, confess, profess, repent. So C is for confess. Just 
get real with yourself and God and what's going on. No need for a priest or anyone else. This is just you becoming fully aware of what's going on with you. Chase the fugitive. It's okay to be focused on you better, actually, rather than what other people did. Confess your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. In my example with Toby, I just blurted out the tough things that I wanted to communicate because it didn't feel good. I know that I played the part of the listening good friend, but I neglected the hard things in our relationship. I didn't intervene to improve accountability for missed results. Excuses like, I have to leave early to do this, weren't followed up with acknowledgement of, so you didn't meet that deadline, how are you going to make this other deadline? It's easier to push off the hard conversations than to slow down and have them, especially when you feel sorry for someone for being mistreated. P is for profess, and it's our cue to take attention off of ourselves. You just take a moment to acknowledge who God is, that you need him, because If we're being completely honest, this human flesh is difficult business to deal with most of the time. I'd say in my profession that I'm just so thankful that God is gentle and understanding with me. Even when I push to get my own way, he's still there without judgment or blame to help me when I fail. That even in my quest to show kindness and understanding, he can help me allow for appropriate consequences for the people in my life. He can be God and I can be me and I don't have to intervene in everyone's business and responsibilities. The next step R is repent. I looked at what I was doing, feeling, thinking. I looked at who God is and remembered my own frailty and need for grace. Now is the time to repent. Just do a U-turn from my old ways and agree with God's ways. I can't control what Toby does and I certainly can't change Toby, but I can change myself. I want to show up in my relationship with Toby where I feel that I'm really being supportive and vulnerable, but still communicating the truth. Is anything trickier in this world than truth and love? This process would help me renew my thinking to agree with God on a fresh way to accomplish his calling in my life. And this is the tricky part, the outcome I want for myself. So if I'd had the chance to revisit the situation after using this methodology CPR, I might have started off like this. I believe that I've not done a great job of balancing my need to support you in this challenging season you've had and my other responsibility to ensure that we are taking care of our customers. It's a difficult and foggy road and that makes it likewise difficult to manage those situations. Conversations like these are not fun, and I get no joy from having to remind you that we missed these deadlines and there were situations with that XYZ account. But this is my responsibility. I want you to know that I value you and the team values you, and your contributions are desperately needed and necessary here. This is where my heart is, and I want you to think about and consider what help. What do you need to balance these things better? Maybe Toby would actually consider some things that would help him, or maybe Toby would still be upset. I didn't change the way I said things to manipulate his feelings. I merely presented how I felt in a more compassionate way, and it felt like it came from a thought seed of friendship-type love and respect. 
maybe you have a better way to handle the situation. I'm still learning after all. I'm all ears. Jesus calls us to walk in love with each other, even my employees, especially maybe. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. In verse 2, it says, If I do not have love, I am nothing. Starting in verse 4, it tells you what that behavior looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind, not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the book of Philippians, a letter from the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, and he tells them in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. There are a lot of interests at stake with the team that you are responsible for. And I would argue that it's not loving to allow one person to have a pattern of hurting the team. That's why we need wisdom. And the Bible has so much wisdom. There's just a lot to balance. So to repeat CPR, you confess your thoughts. You profess to reorient yourself and get your focus off you for a moment. Then you repent. You agree with God about the situation. You do a U-turn. If I had taken my own advice at the very beginning with difficult news to deliver to Toby, my results would have likely been very different. When you get to a tough semester in the college of life, as you seek a degree in wisdom, you need new tools to help you gain the knowledge to apply the knowledge. A degree in wisdom isn't given lightly. Stick with me in our journey in contentedness as we come to understand how the wisdom of the Bible can help us in our everyday life, in our families, our businesses, and our communities. God has given you this amazing and precious life. The wisdom of the Bible is the key to how we make every day an adventure of a lifetime. Thanks for joining me. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram at AOA Lifetime. And you can also find me on the web at aoalifetime.com. I would really appreciate it if you'd post a rating and a review on your podcast player. All feedback will help me deliver content that serves those seeking guidance in the self-help community. Music title Soul Walking by Juanitos, used by the Creative Commons license through the Free Music Archive. Thanks, guys.